If you know me at all, you know that debt is my bread mm -hmm. and danger my butter. Oh, no, danger is my bread and death is my butter. I'm sorry. No, no, wait. Danger is my bread. Death? No, death. No, I'm sorry. Death is my... Death and danger are my various breads and, and various butters. Mm -hmm. right? So, since... For two years, since I moved off campus, beginning of sophomore year or mm -hmm. something, I added seeing a professor in the grocery store to my bucket list. Right? Just once? No, just once. That's just quite, once. That's quite a bucket list. And it's, and it's been bugging me so far because I'm going to graduate soon and I haven't got Oh, you haven't it. seen one yet? No, I haven't seen one. Oh, I and thought you said that it happened. No, it, it never happened. Is and I'm surprised be... now because I've been, me and my roommates, I've been forcing them to go to like, grocery store way more than we should. Like I buy like, you know. Well, why can't you? I buy half, like not even half, like well, a quarter on. gallon of milk. Hold on, hold and on. And it finishes every daily. <laughs> and hold I have to like, I'm like, we have to go to the grocery store. Hold again. on. Slow down. Why don't you have, like, people go on shifts? Like, if you got a bunch of friends, send people out at different times. And if they see somebody there, they text you, mm. and you write, run right on down to the grocery store. See, I've, I've done my research. Um, this is getting crazy. I, 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 <laughs> I, I went to some professors, and I said... When do you go to the grocery store? When do you go to the grocery store? And I said, which grocery store do you go to? And, like, it turns out a lot of professors like Wegmans, the local Wegmans, mm -hmm. a lot. Okay, well, let's get back to the creepiness of you stalking professors at grocery stores. <laughs> How did, why did you add this to your list and why? Like, since I moved off campus, I'm like, it'd be so interesting if I saw a professor. Because, like, it's such an awkward conversation. It's like, you're in a grocery store. Like, what do you talk about? Well, now all you say is, when are you going to be on the show? Yeah, that's a good that's a You got to go to right there. Mm, true. Plus, well, well, I mean, I mean, I'll tell you because, as you know, I'm married to a professor, and we see students in the grocery store, and we, now we see them in the, at the giant grocery store in in Forks Township, the grocery store that's closest to us. Exactly, we see them all the time, and it's it's there's no conversation; it's just sort of a polite nod and and be on your it's way. It's the up nod. Yeah. Uh, exactly. What's, what's a down nod? Oh, um, that's I don't know what a down nod is. Down nod, down nod is agree is agreement, and oh. an up nod is just acknowledgement. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think so. But Renan, are, you're not going to expect to have the experience like like grade schoolers when they see a teacher at the grocery store. It kind of freaks them out because they think the teacher like lives at the school. <laughs> they don't know that a teacher can be seen elsewhere. You you know that the teachers don't live at the school here, right? <laughs> because of the podcast. Oh, he's yeah. learned. That's true. <laughs> well, he has no proof because he's yet to see them at a grocery store. <laughs> that's true. That's a, it's a different kind the of The ruse proof. is still on. Like, yeah. I feel like it's the excitement of... The expectation is is compelling me to go to the grocery store more. I feel like that should be an ad campaign. It should be like a way to get more students to the grocery store, like local businesses. You know, that you your professors could be there. That's always always a thing. Yeah, I wouldn't say it too loud because now the administration's going to like start to tell professors that they have to be there because we're such a small college and we have such a you know high rate of interaction with students, and mm. they're just going to keep going overboard with that. <laughs> Maybe they could give us coupons for the grocery store. Maybe you should save this for when Byerly's on. Ask her about it. Yeah. Oh. Which which grocery store around there she goes? To? Does she go to a grocery store? I feel like if, when you're if you're the president of a of a college, is it like you have handlers that do that? Yeah. Do you have like you know like I mean of course like you know president of the United States doesn't go to the grocery store mm -hmm. right? Like That's have true. you seen like Obama at, at a grocery store? No, I don't. Well, I've I've never seen. Like him he's there. too busy it, with like other things. But I'm not going to put it on my bucket list. Yeah, no, that's, that's kind of hard. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if she goes to the grocery store. Um, I assume she does. Mm -hmm.
Should we um, introduce the episode? Introduced episode 53 of Various Breads and Butters. Okay, I, I appreciate that. Um, I am your host, Simon Tonev. With me, my co-host, Ben Brickhouse-Cohen. Our intrepid producer, Renan Sequitur-Dinser. And our new intern, Michelle Pullman-Simon. Poulton. Damn it. Poulton Simon. Sorry, Michelle. Michelle Rainman Poulton Simon. Michelle Rainman Poulton Simon. Rainman is hyphenated. That's true. That's a (laughs) lot of hyphens. Um, But our guest today, very special guest, is Rachel Gushgarian. Rachel, how do you do? Hi, Rachel. Hi, guys. (laughs) How you doing? I'm good. I just ran over here from McAlvey because our thing went a little bit late. (laughs) Did you say that it was episode 53? Yeah, episode 53. Is that what it is? Episode 53. Absolutely. And just for, I like to say this at the top of the show and the bottom of the show, you can follow us on Twitter at some later date. Um, And you can email us (laughs) with your comments at variousbreadsandbutters at gmail.com. I have a question for our guest. Oh, that's probably a good thing to do. (laughs) Uh, Rachel? Yes, Ben. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I'm fine. How was your summer? Excellent. You were not around for many of the episodes that we had. I was was away for exactly three months. Yeah. Wow, exactly? Just about, I think I left on May 21st and I came back on August 22nd. Oh, that, I, I appreciate your use of the word exactly in there. That was good, that was necessary. Okay. Uh, were you uh, doing work? I was, I was doing work and traveling. Um, the bulk of my summer I spent in Venice. Uh, and, and in Venice there's this great foundation called the Fondazione Cini, um, which is basically, a, it's its own island that's right across from San Marco. And it's an island that is uniquely for scholars, artists, and musicians. And so they have a huge amount of both intellectual and artistic and musical programming. And also they invite like, you know, there's probably was a, there probably were about 20 different people living in the residence when I was there. And uh, I just went online, I applied, and this was, I think the third time I've stayed there. It's super cheap for Venice. Um, It's like literally about $30 a night. It's fantastic. They have a beautiful garden. It's a former Benedictine monastery. And so they have um, a beautiful like fruit garden. And and then it's just great. It was just wonderful. I met does, so many great people. Canals? No, it doesn't. It's its own island. I mean, it's just like a, a small little, I mean, relatively small island with like an, a former monastery on it, a residence. Were there other historians there? Yes. Is there, oh. Was there Wi-Fi? <clears throat> there was Wi-Fi, yes. Free, free Wi-Fi? Free Wi-Fi. <laughs> wow. Then, that you sold me. Yes. I'm in. <laughs> No, but it, they have their own library too. And so it was just great. I met, you know, lots of people from different countries. Like there was a woman there from China who studies the spread of Christianity to China. There was a woman, um, one of my best friends was there with me who's originally Serbian and teaches Byzantine art history. There were there was like a cool sculptor guy from England and there was like a glass sculptor guy from France. And then there were some musicians and like every night we'd, we'd all work really hard all day. And then at night we would just sit around and like drink Prosecco and talk about cool stuff it was pretty awesome wow sometimes sometimes when you were doing that we would go down to rita's and get some yogurt (laughs) nothing wrong with that either but you guys had a productive summer you created this uh we continued wonderful we continued this podcast when did you start it oh Oh, when did we start it it's gotta be the nerve of you this is the first time you're inviting maybe the 90s Yeah, I was thinking, were we in high school? Yeah, yeah. We looked exactly the same as we do now. Except. Well, yeah, no, you know, there were all the lost episodes. So you're in the oh, right. you're in the front end of the second of the reboot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a that's a true statement. The the twister was pretty 
devastating for those early podcasts. Mm-hmm. It was tough. It was Reckless. tough. Took out the water tower. <laughs> <laughs> You're a historian. Right. You yeah. teach in the history department. Mm-hmm. And um, tell us about your classes. Like what, so, what are the main ones? My, I mean, I guess my most popular classes, uh, one is called The Middle East in the Mind of America, America in the Mind of the Middle East. But I was telling my advisor about it and I was like, I trick them all into thinking it's a modern course, but I start with the Crusades. Mm. He was yeah. like, oh. it was like this academic joke. <laughs> uh, and then the other really popular course is my course on the Crusades, where I try to look at the Crusades from the perspectives of Europe, the, uh, Byzantium, and sort of the Middle East. So. Right. So what's your... What's your main time time frame mm. of what you do? Your, what work, your research. Oh, no, my re- I teach, well, because it's What are you Lafayette. an expert in? I'm an expert in like 13th, well, I'm an expert in two things. One is I'm an expert in medieval Anatolia, so 13th and 14th century um, Anatolian history, basically. Like it's just time of transition from the Byzantine Empire to the Ottoman Empire. And the other field of specialty is basically um, Armenians in the early Ottoman Empire. So... Yeah, so that goes from like 14th to the 17th century, kind of. And you are an Armenian. I am not in the beginning of the Ottoman Empire. You're post Ottoman. I'm post Armenian. I'm a post Ottoman Armenian. (laughs) Actually, I should start using that as a post Ottoman Armenian. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what started you in sort of studying? Um, I'll tell you guys the exact truth. So I went to a. When I was an undergrad, I was an international relations major. Mm-hmm. And this was at a At college? Wellesley. At Wellesley College, yeah. I th- West, Wesleyan? Wellesley? Wellesley, the okay. all-women's one, where our, where our president also went. <laughs> okay, okay. It's in Connecticut, um, right? Wesleyan? <laughs> yep. It is out, it's like 40 minutes outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, and I went to a Lebanese-Armenian wedding, actually, of Gabby Manassian's parents, you know, who's one of our students. Mm-hmm. So I went to her parents' wedding and it was so much fun and everybody was just like so, I don't know, exuberant. It was like, you know, what we could call a stereotypical Lebanese wedding. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to learn Arabic because I want to marry someone from this culture. Wow. <laughs> and then, and then uh, I started studying Arabic and I really did fall in love with the language. I wasn't really interested in Armenian stuff as academ- as an academic pursuit. I mean, I went to Morocco for a year on a Fulbright, and uh, I thought I was going to work on North African stuff. When I did, I did a master's at Harvard because I thought that I just was going to be a policy person. I thought that either I would save the, you know, fix the Arab-Israeli conflict or do something with like NGOs in North Africa. They say a two-year master's. That's what you need for fixing that. Yeah, that, exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, and then we should uh, get some people on that. I think we'll get just, more just people one. with masters. Absolutely. <laughs> and then uh, I, I don't know. I went to I started my PhD or I started my masters at Harvard, and I said, okay, well, I'm here. I should at least take one class on Ottoman history. Like I'm Armenian. I don't really know the history of the Ottoman Empire that well, and you know, it's Harvard, so it's probably going to be a good professor. Mm-hmm. And I took the class, and from like the first week of class, I was enamored with uh, the subject and. I just love the way that the man who eventually became my advisor explained history um, in such a nuanced way that was very nonlinear. Um, he's a very like ex- he's a very anti-nationalist uh, history teller, and I was really inspired by that. And what, so, what does that mean? I don't know. He doesn't. He's he doesn't embra- he doesn't embrace a linear narrative of Turkishness, Armenianness, Greekness, mm. Jewishness. He's you know he he believes that everything should be contextualized. And for the first time in my life, I started to see Armenian history not as 
Oh, that's I, like anti how I learned my history. Yeah, well, exactly. He's unique. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, it's anti how right. most of us learn history. So, you know, I, I always just thought of Armenian history as sort of a long march towards the eventual establishment of a nation state. You know, I never saw it as something other than that. And so, it really changed the way I saw um, a his- historical processes. And it really, I mean, it made me more interested in learning about history. So, you became a historian. Exactly. Well, I did a PhD. I was like, I don't think I want to be a professor, but I'll do a PhD. I was always like a reluctant academic kind of. Right. So, was this your first academic appointment? This is my first full-time one. I was a visitor um, for a little while, but... And Simon doesn't know this, but Rachel and I interviewed on the very same day. Yes. No way. We sat at tables back-to-back at Ocean. I I still remember that. And we stayed at the Lafayette Inn, like... Yep. That's crazy. Ben doesn't know this, but I was at. By the way, I didn't know. I didn't remember this. Know this till after the fact. I was at a restaurant when <laughs> Rachel was being interviewed, uh, not because she was there, but we just happened to be there. So interesting connections between all of us. You're doing the hand. <laughs> I am for the listeners. I'm doing the hand thing. So you guys were two of the first people I met that would become part of my Lafayette experience. Exactly. That's why we thought it would be a natural choice to have you in for episode 53. <laughs> episode 53. Yeah, 53. Very, very lucky number in right. many cultures. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I assume. Now, has Renan taken one of your courses? No, but he's my Turkish tutor. Oh, Renan, oh. take a course from her. Put he that came, on your bucket came, list. He came and sat in on one of my classes, and I'm the one that suggested he start taking classes with Professor Gil, who now he's like an acolyte of. So mm. He does. He does. He does uh, like Nestor. Episode 44. Yeah. <laughs> Former guest. And I apologize for the hanging preposition. That's okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, get, we'll get emails about that, believe me. Renan... You don't live at McKelvey. I don't. But you do live off campus. I do. Do you go tutor the professor in Turkish at McKelvey? No. We... At the grocery store? <laughs> we have lunch. <laughs> so, so before you got here, this is what I, what I was going to say. Yeah. Renan has a bucket list item that he wants to see a professor at the grocery store. And he's in his four years here. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. Or three years here, he's never we seen a professor at the grocery store. It is. It is. I think we all decide it's ridiculous, but I think it's also it's also strange that he has not actually accomplished that. Given I know. That we see students all the time. We see all each other time. at the grocery store. Yeah. He's been going to Wegmans though. Oh, see, he's too classy. Can I say, <laughs> have you been to Wegmans yet? But that's what my research resulted in. Like, I asked around. I was like, your research. My 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 oh. comprehensive research on this topic. Do you have graphs, Renan, that you can put on Twitter? <laughs> I should make some. You um, but I was um I was. Part of a conversation, but not I wasn't involved in the conversation, but I was part of it um, between professors, <laughs> okay, who were talking about which grocery stores they go, mm-hmm. and it was like a pretty comprehensive number of uh, professors. Were you eavesdropping? I was not eavesdropping. I was mm. p- on the table. Stalker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I come off as a very um, creepy, creepy person. Yeah, but that's that's been established <laughs> since forty three. And then they said. <laughs> And then they said, oh, um, I go to Wegmans. Oh, I go to Wegmans too. Wow, I go to Wegmans too. And I was like, oh, professors, go to Wegmans. I should go to Wegmans. I mean, they do, but they also go to, they mean, also go to China. It's actually such a, professors should not be a barometer for like anything. They're like the cheapest people on the planet. Not all of them. <laughs> M- 90%. No, maybe 90%. <laughs> um, now, now, maybe I've, go, I've been going to the wrong place. 
So are you doing like archival work in museums and y- yeah. libraries? Yeah, in libraries primarily, yeah. It's not, not necessarily archival. It's all manuscript uh, research, basically. Okay. I mean, I do do some archival research, but the stuff I really like to do, and in part this reflects, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a political historian. I'm a social historian. So yeah. I like to look at texts and um, try to analyze not only what their texts are telling us, but how their language works. Yeah, but do you have the same issue that I have um, of every single library or museum when i have to request materials Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how many times i've been there it doesn't matter if i was there the day before it doesn't matter if i emailed ahead like they asked it doesn't matter if i introduce myself and give them my background they still act like you have like i have no idea how to do it they Mm -hmm. still tell me the same thing every day Mm -hmm. no no you can bring your laptop but no Mm -hmm. pens Mm -hmm. and leave your backpack out there Mm -hmm. and then the next day i'll come back and like Okay, well, so I'd like you to look over the sheet. Now, um, we have pencils, and you can bring your laptop. And every day, every place, they just keep repeating it. Yeah. They can't accept that somebody might actually yeah. lock in on that knowledge. Have you ever? Um, you? I've seen that in some places, but I think it's in part, it must be a part of their job description in a sense that, you know. To not acknowledge that they've ever seen you? Well, well no, just to make sure that you don't like ruin a manuscript, right? Well, I, mean, I so, get that. I, I think people that work in manuscript libraries generally are a little different, right? To be honest, that particular problem I've only had in one. But in other places, I mean, it's it's just an always an interesting negotiation, right, with various libraries. Like there's one manuscript library in Venice that I have been going to for about, I've been work, doing research there for about 10 years. And that one, it's um, an Armenian monastic, it's an Armenian monastic complex um, right off of Venice. And it's considered like one of the top, you know, our repositories of Armenian and also like other language manuscripts that have to do anything with anything Armenian. And the first time I have so many funny stories about having done research there. Uh, the first time I went there, I had exactly I had written them in advance. I had a Fulbright haze, which is prestigious, right? So you think that they would stay, like, oh, like she's from Harvard and has a Fulbright haze. I got there and I was like, hi, I've been emailing and writing you guys letters right. for like the past three months. <laughs> I never heard a response, but I came anyway. So I would like to do research here. And like the guy turns around, he's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, no, sorry. And then as I'm walking away, this other monk says, what he says to me in Armenian, what did you say your last name was? And I'm like, Goshkarian. And he's like, is your family from the village of Tadem? Which is a small village, like in the <laughs> central eastern Anatolia. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I knew it. I am from that village too originally. Come back tomorrow morning. <laughs> this is this <laughs> is like <laughs> Indiana Jones type stuff here. And then they all made fun of him. Father Versanes, poor guy. He um, they made fun of him so much because he would never let anyone else look at manuscripts. But I would be there, and I would have like four in the morning, and then he'd come at lunchtime and be like, "Do you want some more manuscripts?" <laughs> and they would all be like, "If we were, if we, if we were thinking next." negatively about him we would think he had the crush on you <laughs> he was like 85 years old <laughs> so that was very lucky then when he passed away i was really afraid that they first of all i was very sad that he passed away because he was a lovely man and he gave me so much access to manuscripts but after he passed away i was like i don't know if the, the rest of the, are, is the order gonna let me come on the island you know mm. what's gonna happen so i got there and the head of the this is about three years ago the head of the um congregation says to me like yeah you can work here but 
we have to, you do some work for us, we do some work for you. And I'm like, okay, sure. What do you want me to do? Uh-oh. And I had to, I had to catalog, do like a basic catalog of all of their non-Armenian language manuscripts. It took me like weeks. So like, <laughs> that's when I waste time, like doing, you know, doing all this huge project, like a huge project right. for them so that then I have unlimited access to manuscripts. The funniest thing that they made me do was I said, you guys, why did you get those white dogs that, you know, are, they're like, oh, they're guard dogs. I'm like, yeah, but you guys are also afraid of them. They're like, yeah, they're like, <laughs> they're really yes, good guard yes, dogs. We know. <laughs> Armenians hate dogs. Usually people from the Middle East have a thing against dogs. So I said, but those poor dogs, they're so dirty. Like, why did you get white dogs? You know, if you weren't going to like clean them. Yeah. And they said, oh, they, we got a good deal. Right? So, <laughs> <we're okay." laughs> so, so then I said, you know, you should really clean the dogs. And like, we're too afraid to get near them. I'm like, okay, I'll clean them. Wow. And they said, you are going to clean our dogs. And I said, sure, I'll come. I'll come up, bring a change of clothes uh, and I'll clean the dogs. And I clean the dogs for them. And now every time I go back, they're like, remember when you cleaned the dogs? Ha ha ha. Did you go there this summer? I did, yeah. The dogs started barking and going crazy as soon as they got on the island. Were they, were they dirty again? <laughs> I said, have they been clean? They said, no, not no. since you did it last time. Oh, my gosh. And then they said, but you, we can't allow you to clean them this summer because they've become very mean. I'm like, no wonder they become mean because you guys are nice to them. Yeah. And so you had the experience of just not being able to go. Now I was going to match hers. Like one, one, so one time I went to the archive and mm-hmm. they said, we close in, in ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a good story. I thought it's pretty much the same experience. But they but they won't let you go into the archives and touch stuff. Well, no, I don't expect them. I don't, I'm not going to go into the archives and touch stuff. It's just when they bring out materials, uh-huh. like I have to request it, and they'll bring it out yeah. for me from from wherever it's housed. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how many times I've been there and how many mm-hmm. forewarnings or it, I've, how many how many ways I've shown them that I'm following the mm-hmm. protocol. Mm-hmm. They still, to a person, will repeat the same advice that is of ridiculous. You can take your laptop. Um, only pencils, sir. Like, yeah, I know. This is in the United States, right? Yes, this oh. is like the the New York Public Library, or, yeah. or like, you know. But now, Columbia have you, have or you something. just returned from like eating ribs or something like that? Are your <laughs> but the thing all is, messy? I almost always just have my laptop in my hand so that there's nothing else I could even possibly yeah. have. Well, archives are important. They gotta, I don't they know. Gotta be they sure. just, but I never had like that's so. I've I've worked in archives in Italy, Spain, Turkey, Armenia. I guess that's it. Italy, Spain, Envy, and uh, Austria. But not in the U.S. I've never worked in an archive in the U.S. So maybe this is you. Yeah. All right, we have Could one data American. point. I there think we concluded. Hey, we know how American <laughs> Let's make archivists a generalization. are. <laughs> have you ever discovered a secret room with archives or anything like that? I'm thinking Indiana Jones here. Um, no. But I, I'll tell you one thing that's cool. Okay. Um, at this Armenian island, right? So the father Versanas, before he passed away, mm-hmm. I think he knew he was going to die soon. And he pulls me into this like side room and he was like, he showed me like the secret um, section of manuscripts that he's like, they've never been cataloged. No one knows that they exist outside of the order. Wow. And he's like, I'm showing this to you because I think you're a good historian. And I'm like, why are these, why are these separate? And he's like, because they're black magic. <gasps> <laughs> and were they? They were. He let me look at them. They were really creepy. It was all about like, if you have an enemy, like t- get like a lamb and then like <laughs> shave in a prayer in Arabic um, and put and, and, lamb. And, put, and put the name, put the name of the person on the lamb and then walk it through town. And then throw <laughs> the lamb at them. Because that's, that's what I would do. I would throw the lamb at them. <laughs> But it did not hurt the lamb for, hurt the for lamb. animal lovers no. out there. Right. 
Um, can I, can I ask another history question? Or is it going to bore you? Of course, you can ask another. I, I, it's not me that we have to worry about boring. It's the listener we have to worry about. Um, so I'm, I, I go to environmental history conferences, history yeah. science conference, history technology. So I don't know if this is true for non-historian meetings, and maybe uh, a, a scientist in the room. If, uh, that that's me could, could confirm, but I not just archivists, and for me, the consistent interaction I have with them, but at historical conferences. The astounding consistency of a stable set of characters who attend these conferences. For me, they're always like that guy, guy. There's always the person consistently, and this is mocked, I think, in every mm-hmm. kind of academic satire or parody. Mm-hmm. The guy in the audience who who goes on for like three minutes and doesn't have a question mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. just wanted to go on about their specific subject, however tangentially related it was to whatever the talk is. Mm-hmm. Happens at faculty meetings here too. That's true. <laughs> Never. Not once. There's Rachel. that. But I think the one that flusters me the most is the technological ineptness, no matter what they're doing. If mm-hmm. they're reading a paper at a podium, if they're doing a PowerPoint thing, mm-hmm. if they just have pictures to show, they can't get the slides to work, or they didn't have it set up, or they didn't know it was going to be this way, mm-hmm. or they didn't know the podium was going to be over there. Mm-hmm. And they're always constantly flustered. And I don't know how they <laughs> haven't pregame this. <laughs> like as if they've never done it before. Yeah. Not to mention the people who are like, uh, oh, there's, you know, the, the person in the audience, whoever's who's chairing the sessions, like you have five minutes or two minutes. Right, yeah. And they're always shocked. Like, what? <laughs> two, two minutes? <laughs> like, how do you not know you only have two minutes? Like, what were you doing to prepare this talk? Like, what did it take? Maybe time passes at a different rate. Uh, well, and like, their, aren't uh, you an world? academic? Don't you understand how much, like, how, how much time has passed once you've started talking? Like, we all consistently have to be aware of that. It's like one of the few requirements of our job, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So does this happen at your conferences too? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Do you ever call them out? Um, you know, mostly that I just like aggressive. snicker and make fun of them. Exclamation mark! Oh, that's true. <laughs> now, now, are you guys at at the types of conferences or the or the types of disciplines where one would read from a piece of paper? When they give a talk, usually in my field, uh, I mean Middle Eastern history, generally people read. I mean, it would almost be considered unprofessional to. Oh. Just go off cuff because people, you know, they really value the words that they use. And, um, you know, as you, we all yeah. know, academics have a tendency to take themselves too seriously. That's true. Oh. I just I just think that that um, objectively you yeah. just don't learn as much from. Oh, a, I totally agree. So I, I don't know why it's still done. Like I like. I'd say ours are more uh, probably mixed methods. Mixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so. You, maybe you have a script or an outline mm-hmm. and you have some visual background. Oh, you should have an outline. Sure. Uh, but it could be like a, a, he- a heavily detailed outline. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I that our, my conferences many people are just reading directly. Yeah, I, I'm at psychology conferences, it's 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 mostly the opposite. They're mm-hmm. just they're just speaking. Um, I mean, obviously they're prepared, but they're speaking mm-hmm. off the cuff. There's not that sort of reading a piece of paper, mm-hmm. which I just mm-hmm. find. Yeah, but if you if you're faced I, with the choice of the extremes of someone who's just reading straight from their paper mm-hmm. versus someone who's basically going off the cuff because they know mm-hmm. they have 20 minutes and they're an expert in their topic. Mm-hmm. Which of those two sides do you want? Absolutely the latter, the speaking off the cuff. By oh, an see that? I just feel like that's just wasting my time. I see. I feel we had a we had a job candidate actually at the college. Um, do you want to say the person's name and then no. what's their email social address? security no. number? I'm not even going to say which search it was for. But I've been on like six, so hopefully we won't be able to figure it out. Okay. But we had this individual come in, and in my department there has to, there's a tendency towards like a criticism of the reading of the papers mm-hmm. right like uh, because we don't we don't do that other component that some other departments do which is to have the the candidates teach a course yeah 
we, you know, just ask them to give an academic talk. And so some of our members, some of the members of our department have been critical of that because oftentimes they read and it's hard to, you know, really gauge whether or not a person is going to be an inspiring teacher if he or she is reading a talk, right? Mm -hmm. We had this one guy come in though. And like, I swear to God, it looked like he was super hungover and he was like, just, he was seated. He was seated. He didn't stand. He's like, is it all right if I sit? And we're like, okay. okay. And he sat and he like had his arm on the chair next to him and his leg was crossed. And he's like, so here's my project. And he just gave us this kind of, I don't know, it went on and on, like sort of meandering from one topic to the next. And at the end, I wasn't even sure, like, what is his research on? Yeah. You know? So I'm I'm with you. Ben. I'm surprised like, you I, ended up hiring Jeremy. I thought he was... <laughs> Friend of the show, future guest. Yeah, I um, no, a little I'll, more I'll say this. I think. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that that speaking without a script can't go badly because it can. I just think that the best speaking with script is nowhere near as good as the best speaking without a That's script. That's probably true. And the fact the fact is, you guys every day you go into a class and teach without a script. Yeah. Um. So why wouldn't you talk to your colleagues in the same way? Or that's you, what you think. That's what I think. Oh, you think they actually do have a script? Right? Maybe. Maybe they do. We have notes. Do you have cue cards in the back? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to make sure that you have time. Oh, yeah. For the standard question. Okay. that's. Thank you for reminding me. I always forget this. Okay, Rachel. If, Simon, you have such a soothing voice. It really, it really comes through with the microphone. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's, why we couldn't have, that's why we couldn't do the drunk history version. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We would have lost it. Probably. Yeah, probably. Maybe next time. Mm-hmm. So my question to you mm -hmm. is, now obviously you've listened to the show many times before, mm -hmm. but I'll explain it again. I have the Friday-Sunday question. Then you're nodding like you know what I'm talking uh, about, but I'll explain it. Please explain it. Uh, for, for, for the listeners. We're, we're going to pretend that, you know, we're in an archive. Yeah, and, let's do that. Uh, and you have to just repeat you have to yourself. to repeat the directions just every gotta day. Just got to repeat it. Okay. Pencils only. So if you had to choose a pencil from one of these two days, which day you liked better? Is it Friday's? Or is it Sundays? Obviously Fridays. Okay, she says obviously Fridays. Now, I to me, I'm a Friday person. Uh huh. But I'm a Friday it's, person. It's, it's not so obvious because Friday you're working. Right. Sunday you're not working. Right. And yet suddenly Friday is the preferred day. Right. Now, what do you think? Well, I think everyone gets the Sunday blues, right? I mean, I always feel like either I'm trying to get. To, I'm trying to f accomplish like a series of errands, right? That I can't accomplish before the week the week starts, or I'm like nervous about all the work I have to do on Monday and Tuesday, or I'm thinking, well, this is kind of a rest day, but I actually have a lot of work to do, so I need to get tons of work done. I mean, it's just one of these days that you feel guilty about not doing work on, and yet you want to take it as a weekend day. So I I want to. I want to ask a follow-up. Mm -hmm. Please do. If you could have a three-day weekend, would you rather it be Saturday, Sunday, Monday, mm -hmm. or Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Same reasons? Because wouldn't that just accentuate how hard the Sunday is? You would like it even less. No. You could save Sunday if you knew that you had Monday off. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have any of the reasons you just ticked off wouldn't be viable. Yeah, but I just like, I don't know. I I think that the beginning of the week has a very different energy than the end of the week. And the end of the week, it's already like, oh, I'm not, it's like, you know, I don't have social plans, for example. I don't have social plans tonight or Monday or Tuesday night. This is a social but plan, I have, Rachel. <laughs> but, oh, sorry, this is. I don't think so. <laughs> but I, I do have, you know, maybe I have like a writing, 
moment, like Neha, Professor Vore and I write every Wednesday for like a couple hours. And then afterwards, we usually have a drink or some dinner or whatever. So I already have that plan for Wednesday. Thursday, I think I already have a plan. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah. I probably will do something on Friday Your as well. Your dance card is full. But, but, but like, I don't, I don't socialize at the beginnings of the week, like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. But I think if you had a Monday off, that would change that. I don't think so because other people don't really socialize. Restaurants, many restaurants in Easton are closed on Monday nights, for example. Good point, Rachel. Thank you. you know I what know I think my restaurant. Point, Rachel. Something that's odd that it's hard to explain because I, I have a visual memory and I have, I, I have pictures in my mind mm-hmm. of different things in the world, mm-hmm. such as weeks. Mm-hmm. So my every time we ask this question, I think of Sundays versus Fridays. In my mind, Sunday is very whitewashed. The color of Sunday is blankish, mm-hmm. and Friday is much darker, but not in a in not dark as in uh, moving towards black, but dark right. as in being more lush and full, right. almost like a green leafy darkness. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the week progresses like if you had to do a color spectrum, it uh-huh. gets. It gets fuller and more and more lush as the week goes on. This That's is why I, when I emailed you guys, I said that it really listening to you guys sounds like you guys are stoned. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely, that last one definitely sounded like I'm that. I'm just admitting it. Like, I, I haven't said this before. Every time we say Sunday versus Friday, in my mind instantly, I see the days differently. I know mm-hmm. that Monday is actually has a little pinkish reddish mm-hmm, hue mm-hmm. Uh, after the white of Sunday. We can get an artist to draw it for you. Yeah. Perfect. Lovely. Hmm. Should we uh, call that a day? I think we should. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us thank on this podcast. And I hope that you will follow us with our dozen, literally dozens of other followers <laughs> on Twitter at some later date. And if you have any questions, I guess you can email, you know our email addresses. But if you wanted to email us as a fan, you could email us at variousbreadsandbutters at gmail.com. You don't have to address that to her. You could just tell all those listeners. Well, I, I was, as I was addressing it to her, I thought that the listeners one were listening. would be able to hear. One yeah. thought is just when you say that various breads and butters, one thing I've noticed on this campus is like the huge abuse of the apostrophe. So you may be, you may be, you know, people may be sending emails to various bread apostrophe as and butter. Why apostrophe would they do that, Rachel? That's may, not. Maybe your fans. Maybe you're losing a whole fan uh, segment. You know. It's it's just plural. You don't add an apostrophe. Plural. <laughs> yeah, you See, that? that was a meta lesson. Uh, that was a meta super meta good various lesson. breads and butter. Uh, no apostrophe. No you know what? If they're, if they're <laughs> putting if they're putting apostrophes in, I don't want them as fans of the show. <laughs> I'm just going to say that for the record. They'll, they won't be future guests. They won't be future guests. <laughs> yeah. I think we're done. I think we're good. Headphones off? Yeah, headphones okay. off. We're good. Wheat. Rye. Multigrain. Sourdough. Everything bagel. <laughs> <laughs> Pumpkin. Semolina. Raisin bagel. <laughs> you just gonna say bagels. <laughs> Brioche. Baguette. Um, p- poppy seed. Poppy seed bread. Poppy seed bagel. Non. Banana bread. Is it my turn? Yeah, it's always your turn. <sighs> kind of bread? What kind of bread do you eat? <laughs> Plain. Just plain, is it, oh, is that a type of bread now? Oh, yeah, that plain's a type of bread. I don't know about that. Plain to whom? I like plain, plain bread. Plain, what does plain mean? Plain, it's just not Italian. See, that's my second one. <laughs> See, I'm on a streak now. I'm, I'm winning. Um, can, can I use bobbly pizza crust? Did somebody say marble? Marble rye? Did, can I say hollow? 
What's challah? Back at you. Oh. Oh, challah is a Jewish bread. Oh. When, Michelle Rainman again. <laughs> coming up <laughs> with bread types. Things. When, uh, I have I have three breads waiting. Flatbread. I'm so good. <laughs> Bialy. Oh no, this is You're just, just stacking this. This up. is this is devolving. Well, I think this is a perfect time to stop this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs>